Pushed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Depay! And he stretched it! Pornay finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still! Oh my word, what a goal! Golovin! Lovely finish! Must be the opening goal. Benedetto! And Bagnon! Fantastic! Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta! Benyera, beautifully done, sensational. Four is the magic number. Four like the number of goals scored by PSG in Barcelona and four like the number of clubs in the most exciting title race in all of Europe. You're listening to Le Boja, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in association with BT Sport. Now, Matt Spiro's away, so it's me, David Crossan, in the presenter's chair this week. And let's hope our first panellist hasn't done an Mbappe and left his best form in Barcelona. Welcome along, Robbie Thompson. Thank you, Dave. Yes, no, uh, it wasn't a great night for me either last night, I don't think, but uh, Barcelona was something special. Let's have a chat about that. Now we're in Robbie's flat as usual, not far as the crow flies from the Parc de Prince, but a bit further away and joining us remotely from leafy Normandy is our executive producer, Ian Holyman. Hello, Ian. Hi there, chaps. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely balmy out here. That's, that's with an R. Nice, nice. Wish we were there. Actually, I'm happy to be here with Robbie, actually. Um, Anyway, brilliant in Barcelona. The pressure was on Paris Saint-Germain, the champions, on Sunday night as they hosted Monaco. And our man Robbie Thompson was at the Parc de Prince. Monaco onto the front foot here. Back post, Aguilar, the little nod down. And Monaco have scored Sofiane Diop. Their first meaningful attack of the match. In just the sixth minute of play, Paris Saint-Germain's defence was absent. With Caio Enrique, back in towards Maripan, glancing header. Fofana drives it in low, it might yet fall. Maripan, who's done brilliantly! How about that from the Chilean defender? Guillermo Maripan with his fifth goal of the season for a player who's making just his 11th start of the campaign, a central defender at that. And didn't he do it well? Now, Robbie, they were so, so good in Barcelona. Kylian Mbappe with the hat-trick, 4-1, shockwaves sent all around Europe. And five days later, the flattest Paris Saint-Germain performance of the entire season and Mbappe didn't even manage a shot. What happened? It was, it was a very difficult night last night uh, at the Parc des Princes. I think there are a few things to take into account. The first of all is full credit to, to Monaco. Now, this is not to say that Monaco are better than Barcelona. Barcelona at home in the Champions League, no matter who comes, cannot afford to just sit back and defend with a 5-4-1 formation and try and hit on the counter-attack. That was exactly what Monaco were entitled to do, of course. They're fourth in the league. They're chasing the front three. They're travelling away to Paris Saint-Germain. They knew they were going to try and make life difficult for for PSG. They got that early goal um, through a little mix-up at the back, but a well-worked goal. And and Sofiane Diop with his sixth of the season after just six minutes of play. And that gave them something to defend. It's not the same as Barcelona playing at home. Barcelona, with all their attacking elements, with their fantastic players, and yes, Monaco have all of that as well, but the onus was more on Barcelona to keep playing. It wasn't that way last night for Monaco, and they showed that they can defend very well indeed. Niko Kovac, a fantastic tactical approach, but honestly, if they hadn't got that first goal, I'm not sure the game would have turned out the same way. They were able to just sit back and defend, 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 but... 
they did that very well. And uh, full credit to the coach, uh, Kovac, for bringing in De Sassi, um, who had only started one game since the turn of the year. But he came back. He's fast. He's strong. His job was just to be on Mbappe. They switched to a five at the back formation. Um, Aguilar got back all the time, the right back, to help De Sassi against Mbappe. Maripan got across as well. Often you had three people on, on Killian. And uh, look, in those situations, it's not the same as playing against Gerard Piquet one-on-one. So the top four are now covered by only six points. The pressure was on PSG because Lyon and Lille had both won earlier in the weekend and we'll get on to their games a little bit later. I want to bring in Ian now. Now, Paris Saint-Germain were missing their creative department with Di Maria and Neymar injured and Verratti only on the bench. But surely that's no excuse. They've now lost six games this season, more than in any other season since the Qataris took over in 2011. And they've been awful against the top four, only one point out of a possible 12 against Monaco, Lyon and Lille so far. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of factors coming into that, isn't there? I mean, clearly, Paris Saint-Germain are not the same proposition if you have Neymar in. And like Robbie said, there were, what, three men around Mbappé. So if there's three men around Mbappé and Neymar's on the pitch and Angel Di Maria's on the pitch, uh, they've got a lot of space to, to move into. For, with all the respect to due, I mean... Moise Keane, he's not the sort of player, he's not a player, the player that Neymar is. He's not going to be able to exploit that individually as much as, as much as Neymar would. So you've got that, you've got clearly the tiredness. I mean, it, it's a Champions League game. Let's, yes, it was on Tuesday, but you've got the flying back. I don't know what time you got back to, to, to France, Robbie, but it was probably... Four o'clock in the morning. There yep. you go. So, I mean, it, even Wednesday just, was a write-off for me, at least. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, I would imagine it's a write-off for most people. And, and regardless of, of what level athlete you are and how fit you are, you're still going to be incredibly tired. And, and as far as I understand from having talked to, to a number of players about cha- the Champions League experience, it's a hugely draining experience, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally. And I mean, you know, there was a lot of build-up to that game in Barcelona yeah, the, the Paris Saint-Germain players clearly felt a certain degree of pressure, certain degree of expectation. And you know, let's repeat, for all their amazing feats, they're still just human. They still require the same things that we do, uh, food, sleep, water, and, and a bit of rest. And they, they, they haven't got it. And when you've got all those injuries, the key creative players, and, and also you come up against a Monaco team who are brilliantly drilled. And I think, I mean, Kevin Folland, Kevin Folland was absolutely, he, he was superb last night. Now, he's the perfect player for that sort of system. Now, I, this, I'm not going to make some lazy stereotype about him being disciplined because he's German, but he is a very disciplined player. He's a very intelligent player. He's a very good player. Put all those three together. You ask him to play for the team, he does that. He sacrificed his goal threat, if you like, and he still nearly scored last night. He still had a, a decent chance, but he's going to work for the team, and that is going to make life extremely difficult for anybody. I'm getting I'm getting a little bit teary here, Ian, because normally between Matt Spiro and Armel Tongi, Paris Saint-Germain don't get much sympathy on on Le Beaujeu, and uh, I'm happy to say that I agree with with almost everything you said, particularly the point about the pressure on the players and the fact that that it it eats up so much mental energy as well. And of course, when you come off a game defeating Barcelona in Barcelona four one after everything that was said, after all the pressure, after the demons of 2017, and and all this sort of stuff. Of course, there's a a, a a subconscious, an unconscious relaxing of everything after after an event like that. Even if you know that it's a big game coming up against Monaco. One one quick point: the week before, in week 25, round 25 of the league season, PSG were the only side that won 
And it was what a great, uh, great operation, as the French would say, for, for, for Paris Saint-Germain there. They've managed to, to get points back on everyone. Lyon, Lille and Monaco, none of them picked up points or none of them picked up full points. This week, it's the other way around. Paris and so basically, we've lost two weeks in the title race, but it's status quo over those two weeks. And I think this is going to go all the way to the wire. Now, Matt's not here, so I'm going to have to try okay, and lay into Paris Saint-Germain <laughs> a little bit. But I have an ally now. Shoes. <laughs> well, well, we'll see about that. I, I find it hard to believe that a, a, an internationally renowned 22-year-old athlete like Mbappe can't run five days after a Champions League game, no matter how draining it was physically or mentally, surely you can back that up. Uh, the problems are more fundamental at Paris Saint-Germain. Even if you're without some key players, the squad's got to be good enough to cover for those absences, and it patently isn't good enough with the likes of Ander Herrera or whoever it is trying to step in and make things happen in the absence of Verratti, Di Maria and Neymar. Well, Verratti said after the match, in the post-match interview on the, on the side of the pitch, that, look, there, there are all sorts of reasons that, that Ian and myself have just uh, presented, but at the end of the day, there are no excuses. And maybe, maybe we, if Paris Saint-Germain are four points off top spot, we shouldn't necessarily look at this match against Monaco, which comes in the same week as a huge Champions League clash. We can look back at uh, you know a loss to Marseille or a loss to Lens or a loss to Monaco in Monaco, perhaps, where you're leading 2-0 at half-time. And perhaps there is a more justifiable point to ask the question, why are Paris Saint-Germain not top of the table? Perhaps it's there or losing to Lyon at the Parc des Princes, which is something that, that never happens, drawing away to Lille just before Christmas. It doesn't necessarily have to be this match, but as you say, Dave, it is a, a cumulative effect and six defeats in a Ligue 1 season. As you said, it's a decade since that ha- that's happened. But concerns definitely over form after European matches with those defeats at the start of the season after the Champions League final. And they lost to Lyon after the Brazac here win at the end of the, the Champions League which group was stage a huge, campaign. Which was a huge fi- finale to that group stage as well, where they came from behind, where they were third in that group. They won their last three matches. And, and again, you have that just where you let yourself just relax for a second and that's too much. And perhaps an argument that I think you could level at PSG is that your, your Bayern Munichs, your Juventuses from, from before, perhaps not this season, your, your Real Madrids, your Barcelonas of, of previous seasons didn't have these drops. They didn't let this, this drop off. And that's something that Paris Saint-Germain still have to learn. Ian, let's uh, talk about Monaco because they deserve an awful lot of credit for the way they played, playing against type as well, because usually Kovac's Monaco like to have the ball. They like to attack. They kept their first clean sheet since round 19 and they were incredibly disciplined. Yeah, there's, I mean, Kevin Follen was really the embodiment of that, that whole performance, wasn't he? I mean, he, he as Fantastic I said, player. I agree yeah, with he, you entirely. He's the ideal player. I mean, I've, I've met the bloke, um, fortunately. I've, I've, I've interviewed him. Brilliant guy. Very funny very down to earth, uh, just the sort of just the sort of player that you can. You, you, he's a team player. I mean, he's he's Wissam Ben Yedder in. But in, they all in, are. Yeah, you look yeah. at the look at that eleven on the that started the match yesterday. They are all team players. I think. I think what just to come back to quickly, just to to PSG. One point I wanted to make is that you look at that first goal. Of course, of course, the, that whole. That first goal, it's it's a cliche, but it's so true. It changed the real complexion of the game because Monaco have got their noses in front already at six minutes in and they don't have to particularly do anything. I mean, PSG are then really vulnerable and, and, and Monaco can absolutely just sit 
in that position and make life extremely difficult for them. I think the worrying thing for PSG was that the way that they defended that goal. I mean, then the back four was absolutely all over the place. What they what they were doing, I, I don't know. And you're talking about pretty much the first choice, more or less the first choice back four. So that's that is a that is a concern. But I mean, Monaco, brilliant this season. Kovac has Kovac has surprised me, and I'm I'm pretty in touch with a lot of people in German football. I think he surprised them as well. I mean, he did well in Bayern Munich in his in his first season, but it's Bayern Munich. Everybody does well at Bayern Munich, don't they? Um, he's come to Monaco. They were in a little bit of disarray. He's done a fa- he's done a fan- fantastic job, and I think Folland really was a losing Slimani, who had such a good loan spell and such a good understanding with Ben Yedder last season, was a blow. I thought, oh, that's you know they, they might struggle. This <laughs> they're not struggling at all. Folland's on well, twelve. They're, they're goals. still conceding a lot of goals. I think that was only their third clean sheet in their last ten matches. Lecomte is not probably a goalkeeper who's quite good enough to to win you the league. He's not a He's not in the same level as Navas or Anthony Lopez or even Mike Mignon, who are all internationals. I mean, I think Lecomte may have been called up once to a, to a think, France but squad. But what about Flavio? I, what about Flavio Roma? Is he was he or, or, or Daniel Subasic? Is is Lecomte any worse than those two guys? Yes, what, but Ro- do you have Roma... De Sassi, Badia Shield, two two twenty year olds in front of in front of Flavio Roma? It, I it's mean, a, Maripan, it's a fair point. Maripan as well is someone we should we should talk about. He played his started his first match of the season. In mid-December, he was frozen out. He wasn't in the plans. Monaco were conceding goal after goal as well in the first half of the season. Maripan comes back. That was his 11th start last night. Five goals already in Ligue 1. Brilliant. Having been, having been to Monaco quite a lot, I, I, I just I find it difficult to find uh, the, the image of somebody being frozen out. I think they probably just had a little bit of a, <laughs> a rainy afternoon when it wasn't quite as hot as it usually is. And but it's probably the conditions and nothing to do, nothing like being frozen out of anything. You probably don't <laughs> mind too much in Monaco, do you? Quick word as well. For me, Folland, yes, very good. But they have, they have quality players. And Chuameni and Fofana were superb as well mm-hmm. yesterday. Fofana is a, is, and Chuameni, they are both underrated, excellent number sixes in that great, humble French tradition of, of thinking, you know, they don't really do very much, but they're, they're excellent at it. I've said it before. I think they're the keys to that system that Kovac plays, which he did modify for the Parc de Prince. Anyway, it's, it's made it into a wonderful title race that is going to keep us enthralled over the final 12 games of the season. Monaco on 52 points, Paris Saint-Germain on 54 but next, we're going to move on to talk about the leaders, Lille, who bounced back from dropping points at home to Brest and then losing to Ajax in the Europa League by winning 4-1 at Lorient. And I had the pleasure of commentating that one. Drop for Celic. Celic onto his left foot. They got in each other's way, but it takes deflections and goes in. Possibly the scruffiest goal that Lille have scored all season. But it doesn't matter. It could be the goal that ensures that they are top of the league and table come the end of round 26. Everyone's game plan was to defend. They're on the attack now, though, with Moffi to Erjo. Erjo, good shot, and he equalises. Jerome Erjo, his first goal in the top flight for Lorient. Christophe Galtier can't believe it, and there won't be a six-straight clean sheet in the league for Le Dog. Bombers cross. It's there to be hit by Font. What a strike that is! 
by the visiting captain. Lille retake the lead thanks to Jose Font's second goal of the season. Ikone. Oh, what a finish that is by Jonathan Ikone. An expertly taken free kick, and there's no taking that one away from him. Araujo. Yazidji in behind. Yusuf Yazidji. Pace not his biggest asset. Plays it to Braderic. Domagoj Braderic. Oh, it deflects in off the luckless Laporte for 4-1. Yeah, Christophe Galtier, the Lille coach, described that as Lille's most controlled performance of the season. And let's not forget, this was against a Lorient side in very good form, unbeaten in their last five games. That's now a club record seven straight away victories for Lille. They didn't manage their sixth clean sheet in a row in the league, but it didn't matter. And the key goal for me was the one scored by Jose Font, the captain, just before half-time. A really good hit. He had a, a real captain's innings and I would call him and Benjamin Andre unsung heroes except we talk about them most weeks and I'm going to talk about Andre again now because he made his 300th league and appearance uh, on Sunday and his 50th for Lille and he was so badly missed against Ajax where Lille just didn't turn up they didn't get a grip in midfield because they were missing Andre suspended and Jekka suspended as well and Galtier describes Andre as the locomotive of his team. He defends by advancing. And that was so evident against Lorient. Lorient couldn't play the ball out. They couldn't get anything going. Terra Moffi was incredibly isolated. And Lille just took them apart, responding to Lyon's win uh, against Brest on Friday and putting more pressure on Paris Saint-Germain ahead of that Monaco game. And they look back on it after what was a disappointing week for them. What I like about this Lille side is that, like you say, they are answering every challenge at the moment. And they, Christophe Galtier has to take a lot of credit for this because he's got a team and he's got a, a squad that he is somehow managing to take all the pressure off their shoulders. I saw a, a, a report on a French TV channel of a, of a day in Lille's training ground um, recently by a former, a former France international that did the the interviewing and and she started in the in the canteen with Galtier at eight o'clock in the morning. Went out, saw them train, was able to take part in a bit of training as well. There's a there's this relaxed relaxed atmosphere around the club where the players are clearly feeling very cool about this whole thing as well. And that's that's an incredible thing if you can manage to get them keyed in, competitive on the pitch in these big matches, but not spending all week thinking. My God, this is really starting to happen. We're getting close now. We have the pressure, 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 because that's how they'll crack. And it reminds me a lot of Monaco in 2017. That Monaco side under Jardim did the same thing. They just kept winning despite all the pressure. And you got the feeling that there was no pressure on them. And that's, that's such a, a special gift that the coach is able to give these players, that they don't even seem to realise necessarily what they're achieving at the moment. Christophe Galtier is a, a very impressive man. I know that both Ian and myself have had the pleasure of interviewing him in the past and, and you could talk to him about football for hours. He, he's so passionate about the game and passionate about players. Uh, I'm going to put to Ian a question that we've had from a listener and we do invite your questions to us at leagampodcast at gmail.com. Alexandra Tremblay from Montreal. Is it too early to say that it's Lille's title to lose? He didn't have the exact stat in front of him about PSG's record against the top four. We've already mentioned it, one point out of a possible 12. So, Ian, I put it to you. Is it Lille's title to lose? I I don't think we can talk about Lille being stitched on favourites, can we? I mean, 
They've still got not this yet, but no, they... I think it's still too early. I think they, well, they've got a great Ian, chance. Now, yeah, of course. Go, but go. like what what you said, Robbie, I, I think is I think we're a little bit far away from what Sir Alex Ferguson would call squeaky bum time. So I my jury is still a little bit out on this Lille side for when really the pressure gets to the last four, five, six games, and they're still a couple of points ahead. Uh, that's when we're going to see whether they really can handle the pressure. I, I, I think that they've done the perfect things in getting basically what an experienced leader per line, if you like, Jose Font, Benjamin Andre, Burek Yilmaz. You've got these old heads, experienced heads, and they're going to keep these guys' feet on the ground. We mentioned it before, Benjamin Andre just comes out every week. Yeah, we're just going to take each game as it comes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what they really actually have to do, because if they do start to get carried away with how good they are and, and what the possibilities are, then they're going to have a problem. I think that probably they will get knocked out of the Europa League this week. Um, that's, to be honest, I think that can probably be only, only be a good thing in terms of giving them that real focus that's just going to be on, on the league, lesser extent, maybe uh, Coupe de France. It, it's still too, it's still too early. I still fancy Leon. I know I know that they have a lot of problems. They they they're still not perfect, but I think that their their quality, their individual quality, is superior to Leal's. And I think that they're they're fully capable of of overhauling Leal and taking the title this season. That's interesting. I think there there's a there's a feeling in France that Leon are the the danger side in this in this situation. I think mathematically. Paris Saint-Germain is no longer in their hands. And I think symbolically, with 12 matches left to play, that's, that's important. Even if they beat Lille in their next game, it's going to go, you know, they'll, they'll close to within one point of Lille perhaps, but that's not necessarily enough to, to, to catch them. For Lyon, it's still in their hands. And obviously, a lot can change. We still have three months to go. Paris Saint-Germain, six defeats this league season. Lille, only two. They, they have been a machine in the league and they now have the best defensive record in France, having only conceded one goal at the weekend compared to two by many, Paris Saint-Germain. Who's got the most wins? 17 wins for Lille, 17 wins for Paris Saint-Germain. But who's got the most points, Robbie? Yes, yes, no, exactly. But yes, Paris Saint-Germain have lost a lot, but they've also won. No one has won more than them this season. OK, but and yes, their top scorers in the division point, with 57. Let's, let's get that in for the sake of balance. But Lille are on 58 points. Lyon are on 55. Paris Saint-Germain are on 54 points. I think something else that Galtier would have really appreciated in that Lorient game was fringe players putting their hands up, staking a claim. Jonathan Ekone, I'm going to say nice things about him just to keep going against type. Um, lovely free kick he scored. But his status has gone way down this season. He gets left out of the senior France squad now to play with the under-21s. OK, he's going to have the European under-21s championship and potentially the Olympics to look forward to this year. And he's gone from being an established first choice to being a cover player, either on the right-hand side of midfield or in a support striker role. But what he did against Lorient is going to stake his claim for extra game time. back to, to Galtier again, managing the squad perfectly. I mean, Yazici doesn't start every match either. We saw Jonathan David was all sorts of out of form. He's come good now, thanks to the way it's being it's being run. Bomber's been the one who's really been a consistent, consistent figure there. But yeah, I think Bomber's on a, a form dip job. at the moment, actually, and and he's got Burak Yilmaz to come back in, who is the their top scorer in the league with nine this season. 
Anyway, we're going to... Sorry, I just want to I just wanna do you. a bit of Iconi bashing because, uh, yeah, it was a decent free kick. But did you watch the le- the Lorient wall? They didn't, they didn't jump. But they, if they jumped, he would have put it under the wall because he's got that kind of quality. No, he was always going to go for the top <laughs> corner and, you, and, and the, the, the ball was just outside the penalty area. It was going to make it extremely difficult to get it up and over if they jumped. And they, they've stood there and watched him put it in the top corner. Ah, but Ian, that's obviously... And, and I say this not facetiously at all, but... But uh, I bet if you look at the Lorient wall this season, they probably no, don't ever jump, and Lil knew that. And Iconi would have known that as well. So I, I don't think that sort of thing is left to, to chance. They would have known very well that the Lorient wall doesn't jump. I, someone, a listener, can check that if they want and, and write into us. But <laughs> I suspect, given that it, you're right, the free kick did not go that high. It didn't have, he knew, they knew, they seemed to know exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, it could it could well be that because it was so strange to see them not jump. Make your minds up, it. Go on to our official YouTube League and channel and have a look at all the goals from the weekend. Um, we're going to rip up all the rules this week, so we're going to do deja vu, but in reverse, in order to keep it on a Lille theme because it's competition time. Tim Weyer scored against Ajax uh, on Thursday, but the American international was rotated to the bench for the game against Lorient. We've got his shirt up for grabs. And to win this shirt, what you have to do is identify from these fiendishly difficult clues that Ian has come up with three former teammates of Tim Weyer. So, number one. We played against each other this season, but were once clubmates in a city that's so good... They named it twice. Number two. Once a PSG Youth Academy player, I shot myself in the foot for my career in France, but have since found the right sort of target. And number three. I played under our PSG boss twice and previously had a keen interest in ceramics. So do listen to that back to make sure you've got all three clues and send in your entries to gmail.com or get in touch on Twitter with using our hashtags. Uh, let's clear up the business of last week's Deja Who, which I thought was really difficult. It helps that I've got the answer written down in front of me. So I'll read out the clue first. After a first European adventure in Germany, everything really turned rosy for me in southwest France. I played for two more Ligue 1 clubs, helping one reach a Champions League quarter final, while I spent an entire season frozen out at the other. I've also played in Turkey, and I now play in Qatar. That is Ayman Abdenor, who was uh, brilliant for a while in Ligue 1. He was, wasn't he? He was really a, incredibly, incredibly good. And then just, what happened? A perplexing happened? career drop-off, yeah. Marseille. Marseille, he just never, ever played. Yeah, that, well, my, my point about being frozen out in Monaco goes also for Marseille. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember that first, that it, it was the first Jardim Champions League campaign. I think they got to the quarterfinals with Juventus. And they basically got there on the on, on the back of an absolutely amazing defence, of which Abdenor was was part. And uh, yeah, he was what, uh, Toulouse as well. He was, he I mean, was really very good in Toulouse as well. Strange, strange. Hence the question, uh, the listeners, just to explain the just to explain the clue, the, the Toulouse is known as the Ville Rose, so it's the the pink the pink city or the Rose City. And he and he actually started his mm-hmm. uh, European which career was a as Werder as well, wasn't it? I seem to remember. Which was didn't it didn't go well? I think it was very mm-hmm. much like Thiago yeah. Silva's yeah. at and Port, then Russia. Was it Porto that he was at on loan from yep. Porto, where he almost died? And yeah, correct. They know. 
Gina Marmosco. Right. Well, let's yep. run through who got this right. And I'm sure you can, you can guess some of the names that I'm about to read out. Happy Bar from Gambia says he started following French football and supporting France at Euro 96. He regularly gets these right. JC Griggs has got it right. He says, thanks for an awesome show, guys. Thanks for the feedback, JC. Simon Klopfenstein has cleared up how to pronounce his surname. He's listening in from Bern in Switzerland. He's got it right. John Crossan, no relation to me. A misspelling at the end there, John. It should be A-N, not E-N. Get that right next time. Callum Bosley from Australia, a new listener. Adam Cyrilnik, of course, French from Detroit. Thomas Duroy describing this as the hardest one yet. I thought it was a, a really good one, but... Do um, try and win yourself that Tim Weyer shirt by entering our competition. Deja Who. Special shout out to Callan Bosley, the Aussie. Good on you, mate. Pleasure to have you on board. Translation is available. <laughs> right, let's move on because we've got to talk about Lyon. And uh, they were at Brest on Friday evening. And it was a bit of an old-fashioned game, a very entertaining game. Uh, Robbie Thompson's had a very busy week and he was on commentary for that one. Oh, see what? Oh, don't tell me. What a disaster. And it's Lucas Paqueta. Well, now we have a chance to talk about Sebastian Sibois, but it's not in the glowing terms we might have used a week ago. Well, it was a disastrous dribble by Sibois. Oh, lad. Oh, caught in possession by Thiago Mendes and the pass in. For Depay, and that's two. Usemawa set up superbly by Memphis Depay. It's more poor defending from Brest. Now, Guimaraes with the pass. Depay gets there and goes down. Penalty. Well, Sebastian Sibois' evening is just going from bad to worse. Sibois not complaining either. He knows that there was contact. Against Depay. Well, he's now scored his last eight of eight from the penalty spot. Memphis Depay. That's his seventh penalty of the season. 14 goals for the Dutchman now. Taken short. Perrault with Fev. Outside again with Honor up. Fev again. Now Honor up. Well played. They're in behind them again here. Can they find an option? The header from Cut Chardonnay. And they are on the score sheet. Chardonnay's ball over the top for Cardona. It's a lovely first touch. Cardona! And they have their goal now. Leon looked to the linesman asking what's going on. Well, Irvin Cardona celebrates the goal. And it is game back on here. Now, Robbie, uh, I saw Rudy Garcia describe this as like watching an English game from 30 or 40 years ago with 80 kilometre an hour wins and kick and rush and all sorts of incidents and comedy goalkeeping as well, which everyone likes to see. It was, and it's a, it's a shame for that youngster, Sebastian Sibois, the, the goalkeeper, because I know him. He's a former PSG Youth Academy kid coming through the ranks and uh, ended his contract with PSG, was out of a job for six months before getting picked up by Brest, and he's bided his time there for, for a season and a half, well, two half seasons, and now he's finally got his chance. It was a very, very big mistake. Um, nine minutes in, robbed by Lucas Paqueta, who got his third in four games, uh, cup included for, for Leon. So he's really the man in form for Leon. Um, 
Another mistake where Paul Lan was robbed of the ball on the half hour and Usemawa uh, was set up perfectly by Memphis Depay. And then more bad defending when uh, Sibois brought down Depay in the box from a simple through ball from, from Bruno Guimaraes uh, just before half time. 3 0. Brest, who were playing with the wind at their back, and there was, as uh, Rudy Garcia said, there was some wind as well. Um, there's something very nice and quaint, and, and it is a little bit English style of the, the Stade Francis Le Blay, um, which is this old school, small stadium, open to the wind, open to the elements. It was raining, of course, because we were in Brittany. And, uh, but this breast side also has those, those perhaps, I don't know if we can call them English traits, but, you know, fighting spirit and never say die. And, and they came out all guns blazing. And honestly, they were unlucky not to equalise in the last few minutes. Defender Chardonnay got a goal back 10 minutes into the second half. Irvin Cardona got the, got the second 15 minutes from time, and they were pushing. They were really close to getting it. Steve Mounier, um, who will be a familiar name to, to English Premier League fans, was excellent without scoring as well. I mean, Brest, a little bit like Lorient, a little bit better than Lorient perhaps, but they're a side that, that are very, very dangerous, and Lyon... We're very grateful to hear the final whistle. Yeah, I watched the, particularly the closing stages of that one, Robbie. I mean, totally, totally agree with you. I mean, uh, Brest coach Olivia D- Dalolio has got a bit of a problem because he took out Gauthier Lassenaire after he nearly scored what would have been the own goal of all time. I mean, he got away <laughs> with it unbelievably. You've got to check that one, check that one out on, on YouTube. I was commentating the game. We couldn't even work out what had happened. But he took him out. Brought in Cibois, who's not really had a lot of top flight experience, and he, I mean, the, the third game on Friday, yeah, the, night. The, it was really the first mistake. Now, I know we're all it's all in vogue, goalkeepers playing out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I recently talked to to Ralph Ranić, who was one of the one of the 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 instigators, the inspirations behind this whole Gagan pressing that Jurgen Klopp has has made so popular and so successful. And he said to me, the goalkeeper, there's a reason he's the goalkeeper. He's the worst player with the ball at his feet on the pitch. So it, is the he, is the, he is the drummer. And the van driver. <laughs> he, shouldn't be, he shouldn't be trying to sort of nutmeg Paquette or whatever he's trying to do. And, and the point is that he had Christopher, Christopher L just next to him. He could have played it out easily to him. Instead, he wanted to check back onto his right foot and he got caught out. And it was a, a horrible goal to give away. And... Leon were extremely lucky he did, for, for my money, because without those two glaring errors, they'd lose that game. I, I'm going to leap to Cibois' defence. Olivier Dalio has a, a clearly defined style of play, which involves building from the back. And it happens to the best of keepers. They are being asked to go beyond their skill set, I think. Uh, there are some who are better at sweeper keeping and doing the bits of skill than others. Um, we saw Keylon Navas almost gave away a goal in Barcelona, we saw Steve Mondonda's howler against Nantes. We'll get on to Marseille in a bit. So let's just hope that it doesn't completely shatter Cibois' confidence. Uh, Lyon, though, they're second in the table and they've got the Olympico coming up next week uh, at Marseille. Uh, and Rudy Garcia's team, they're just uh, refusing to go away in this title race. Yeah, they're, they're a solid outfit. I mean, we've said it. We've, we've tried to give everyone credit, I think, from the start of the season. Um this Leon side, they are coming good, and we said it from the start. the 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 Memphis Depay element, I think, is is critical. That here. sounds like He's, a great band name. It's a shame he does Memphis rap Depay. rather than prog rock. <laughs> Maybe you could get Seaboy in as the van driver for that band. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I was surprised that Kadawiri didn't start 
it was a change uh, in in formation as well a little bit from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1. Awa coming in to replace Tino Kadawiri. Um, it was the first, I think, second time since the turn of the year that uh, Toko Akambi and Depay haven't had Kadawiri alongside them. Um, but yes, no, look, they're a, they're a quality team. They have options on the bench. He's got Slimani there in case they're in trouble in the final moments when he needs to bring someone on. Kadawiri as well. Kakare, Korne, uh, Shirky. They will, they will be there to the end. And I think uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one for Leon fans because at the start, they, they weren't big fans of Rudy Garcia. And he's starting to show that when you need to get the job done, he, he is a man who can get it done. They'll miss him when he's gone. Which it's apparently still, is happening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, just, ask, Mar- just well. ask Marseille fans. I mean, the, the thing is that he comes in at Leon. Leon fans traditionally do not like, do not like anybody connected with Marseille. So he, he was on a bit of a downer, but look at his track record. Come on, let's. It, this, the guy's done. The guy did brilliantly at Lille, won the double. He did even well before that with Le Mans. He, he did well at Roma. He's, he did well at Marseille. Um, it's true, but Ian, I think one thing that uh, if you look back in history as well, we, we talked a lot about Thomas Tuchel having this incredible charm offensive the first season, and then after that, it gets a lot more complicated for him, and it's a, a thing that's repeated itself. Well, I mean, Le Mans went bankrupt. I'm not saying that's only Rudy Garcia's fault after he, he brought them up, but Lille went through a very difficult time after he'd left, and a lot of former players from that, from that Lille squad say, he didn't do much for the club as a whole, for the youth academy, for, you know, what, or perhaps he uses up so much energy. He did win the double, the first though, team, in 2011. Hmm? He did win the double. Exactly. That's, that's the point. But then after that, it, it, it ended quite sourly again. I mean, it always ends sourly for coaches, doesn't it? When coaches leave clubs, it, it's because it ends sourly. Roma as well. I think he started at Roma with a, a fantastic mm. run of 11 or 12 matches, wins in a row. And then after a season as well, it ended. It ended badly. Marseille. It ended badly. Um, and here he is again, say, doing brilliantly. Twelve wins in a row, and I think Lyon will win the title. Twelve games left this season, and they'll win twelve in a row. Or are they? No, I'm not what? saying they will, but if he can win twelve in a row, then uh, yes, yeah, that's for sure. Which is not the case for Paris Saint Germain. Not necessarily, anyway. Ligue 1 Uber Eats is the league to watch over the next three months, and. Marseille's situation is about to get a bit more interesting, judging by all the press reports. They drew one all at Nantes at the weekend. Dimitri Payet cancelling out Ludovic Blas's opener after Steve Mondonda's howler. But it's off the pitch that we're looking because it appears as though Jorge Sampaoli is about to be appointed Marseille coach, probably by the end of the week. And I'm going to be a bit facetious here because... I'm going to say at least he knows all about Mbappe's pace. We saw Mbappe score that goal at the Velodrome. Sampaoli was in charge of Argentina when they lost to France at the World Cup in 2018. So he's well-placed to be on the receiving end of an Mbappe burst. And more importantly, from my point of view, given that Luca Elsner is no longer a league and coach, he's my new fictional detective as a league and coach <laughs> because he wears those overly tight black T-shirts he, we saw the footage of him at the weekend in the Brazilian league with Atletico Mineiro practically getting into a fight. So I can see him as the tough cop around the Vieux-Pour, downing his pastis, talking to the locals and sorting out any bother. I'm, 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 I'm just happy that we're going to have a, a coach, a, a Ligue 1 Uber Eats coach, who's got tattoo sleeves that are more impressive than any of his players. I mean, that surely, that surely counts for something, doesn't it? In, in, in a club, at a club like Marseille, I mean, 
the blog's the blog's track. He is, it is a perfect setup for Marseille, yeah, isn't the it? The blog's track record is 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 is, is pretty pretty unimpeachable. I'd say it's really mixed, isn't it? He, he won the Copa America with Chile. Yeah, with with then... Chile exactly with Chile with like what three de- three no, decent midfielders three they... decent midfielders guys. Three decent midfielders does not win you does not win you major tournaments. I mean, you're up against some of the best. You, Chile, you're telling me that Chile are at the same level as Brazil, Argentina. No, I'm saying his Uruguay. club record is decidedly mixed, and that Argentina ended in a massive failure. Uh, it, it's all very well trying to appoint another charismatic Argentinian because you're nostalgic for El Loco. Marcelo Bielsa, and it will get the fans back on board. But I, I'm not convinced that it's going to be a success on well, the football I field. Think, I think that he's certainly his personality. You talked about him almost getting into a fight at Atletico Mineiro. I mean, it does kind of, I mean, things are pretty combustible at Marseille right now. Um, the question probably is, will, will this appointment appease the fans? I suspect that it will because he's got the big enough name, um, regardless of what you think about his, his track record. So that will, that will certainly get the fans excited. It might not get them back entirely on board, but it may well keep the peace ju- just for long enough. I think it's a near near perfect appointment if it if it all comes off, which it looks as as though it is. I think Marseille need this type of, of coach. If if Bielsa is really an extreme example, but someone who was very, very much loved by by the Marseille public, you look at someone like Eric Geretz, who wore his heart on his sleeve as well, who was this you know this machismo defender who was who was always trying to get the best out of his players. Marseille respond to that. Lucien Favre turned them down. I can, I mean, thank goodness because Lucien Favre, the quietly spoken Swiss Swiss professor, I mean, it just could never have worked. Surely it could never have worked. It certainly would have made. Well, let's see how San Paoli fares, Ian. Yeah, I was just going to say Favre, Favre and Marseille certainly would have made strange bedfellows, wouldn't it? But I. Certainly, if if Dave wants to go along the lines of the uh, on on the record, I think Favre's record stands up to 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 better scrutiny maybe than than Sam Pauli's, But absolutely right on the character, um, and yeah, you, there's probably a little bit of a Bielsa nostalgia in there, isn't there? And they're hoping that something something will have rubbed off. Get the ice bucket back out. It's just before Gabby Heinzer decides to, uh, and I think his name probably he just signed for At- Atlanta in the MLS. And uh, I'm sure Marseille and a lot of people in Europe are probably keeping an eye on him because he's he's the next Bielsa uh, protege. And isn't it said that Sam Pauli consulted Heinzer before uh, apparently ah, making this okay. decision? He, he took on board some advice about the Marseille microclimate. They're certainly obsessed with football there. And Marseille are seventh in the table. In between them and Monaco, who are fourth, Lens are fifth. Two one winners uh, at the weekend. And Mets are flying in sixth. Uh, Frederick Antonetti's just extended his co- his contract as coach until 2024. The European race is getting very exciting. Rennes are drifting away. Montpellier are back. Three wins in a row. Even without the injured Andy Delors, they managed to beat Rennes two goals to one. Both goals scored by Steffi Mavadidi. His second was excellent. Do check that one out on YouTube. And uh, the relegation battle's hotting up as well because one of my league and favourites, Renault Ripa, is banging in the goals again. Wonderful header at the weekend against Bordeaux. And they've got Lorient on Wednesday night in a rearranged game. Win that game and Nîmes will climb above Lorient and Nantes and into 17th place. A Dijon, a Dijon dead and buried? What's the consensus here around the table? Yeah, you'd have to think so, wouldn't you, Ian? Yeah. I mean, six, point, uh, six points behind Nîmes already, who are second from bottom. Eight points off the relegation playoff. 
They are. And what about the? I mean, Nantes are there. Nantes are just above the the playoff place. Nice six points ahead of that. And Nice, Strasbourg, Saint Etienne are those guys more or less safe? Surely six points. It's only two wins, but uh, surely they're, they're, It's going to be difficult for the likes of Nantes, Lorient, Nîmes to catch to catch I, them. I think isn't I, it? I commentated Saint Etienne at the, at the weekend, and they were somewhat fortunate to get a draw at home to to, to Reims. Um, but their form seems to be moving in the right direction. They're unbeaten in five now. Three wins in there as well. Uh, nice, I'm slightly concerned for Nice, to be to be honest. They, they, they're they picking up a lot of injuries. Ronnie Lopez out at the weekend. He had been in great form. He's out for another couple of weeks as well. Um, but you do have to think that what you know, three of the four of Nantes, Lorient, Nîmes and Dijon, who are currently behind Nice right now, they are the ones who are, are going to be filling those bottom three spots promotion relegation playoff of course if you finish in 18th position in the league yeah so so much to play for all over the table it's, it's been a terrific season just a shame that the fans haven't been able to enjoy it that much although we did have limited capacities in the early part of the season and we want to see those supporters back in the grounds as quickly as possible when it is safe of course i think that's almost it for this week but before we go It's time for us to go on a a bon voyage and look ahead to next week's games. So lots of good games uh, to look forward to this uh, coming week. Paris Saint-Germain are at bottom club Dijon Saturday. That's a must win for them. Surely they can't slip up there. That's uh, five o'clock French time, four o'clock British time, if you're following the football on BT Sport over the weekend. The Olympico on Sunday night, 9 o'clock French time, 8 o'clock British time. And the leaders Lille at home to Strasbourg in the Sunday afternoon slot, which has become their own while they're in the Europa League. They play Ajax on Thursday, then at home to Strasbourg on the Sunday, 5.05 French time, 4.05 in Britain. So where are we off to this coming weekend, gentlemen? Robbie, starting with you. First up, I am commentating Stade René versus Nice on Friday night, so I'll be at, at that one, and I'm very much looking forward to it as well because the, there's a little bit of pressure on Ren and uh, and a lot of pressure on Nice. So hopefully they're two sides that I know have uh, have very positive footballing philosophies, and it's not easy when you know, when the results aren't there. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they bounce back. And then on the Saturday. I'll have one eye on Paris Saint-Germain, of course, but I'm curious to see this mess revolution. What sort of mess have we got ourselves into here? Oh, oh. Sorry, sorry. I was trying to pretend I was one of you English guys with all your puns. I take it back. I like it. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, one eye on Paris Saint-Germain. Who are you fooling, mate? All right, anyway. Yeah, yeah okay. All one-eyed right. when it comes yeah, to Paris Saint-Germain, perhaps. Oh, that's... You see, you, you guys have it's in your nature. You're much better at it. I'll tell you me. what, though, but I tell you, there's only one place for me this weekend, and, and it's we've, we've talked about the weather in Monaco, which we, which we frequently do. David and I have had the good fortune to actually be down there quite a lot. Uh, Monaco against. Not to mention cafes are open. Oh, right. Ooh. <laughs> That's a, a bit of inside information there. Monaco, Monaco Brest at the Stade Louis de 1 p.m. Central European time. I'm going, to, I'm going to make a bold prediction. 7-5 at half-time, 12-8 at full-time. It's going to be a, a game for the ages. Um, there's no way that finishes nil-nil. I mean, I know I've just cursed it, but there's no way that finishes nil-nil. That's going to be a... You're taking your, your swimming costume with you, Ian, for that one? 
<laughs> you don't want to see. You don't. There's going to be another cold snap, yeah, you, boys. Just hang you don't in want there. to see. Hang, hold your You horses. don't want to see my beach body in, in in full winter mode. I mean, honestly, you and Kevin Volant down there by the port. Well, I, 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 what an image! I, I'm going to quickly move <laughs> yes, on from do that move. because do, I don't think we want to dwell. Pregnant silence there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go to the Olympico Marseille against Lyon. Even bigger if Sam Pauli is appointed and uh, has arrived in Europe by then. Let's uh, follow that one with interest and just it's always a, a, an interesting fixture to follow. I don't expect it to be five-five. By the way, anyway, uh, that brings. An end to this week's edition of Le Beaujeu. Many thanks to Robbie Thompson and to Ian Holyman for being with me on this week's show. And I think Matt Spira will be back next week, probably. We never quite know. Uh, so do tune in again then and try and win yourself that Tim Weyer shirt. Listen back to find out exactly how to enter that competition. Bye for now and au revoir from the team. Goodbye, everyone. Oh, Ben Yedda, beautifully done. Sensational.